Welcome to Startup Confidential. What industry insiders will never tell you that you need to know if you're building a consumer brand. With your host, best-selling author of Ramping Your Brand, Dr. James Richardson. Let's do this. Welcome to Episode 90, Private Equity, FOMO, and Insecure Founders. We are witnessing a temporary lull in private equity and VC investment in consumer brands. It's not going to last, in part because funds have just too much dry powder on time clocks set by Wall Street LPs. They simply have to invest the money or it'll be taken back and deployed elsewhere. And Wall Street hasn't stopped piling up money in these funds. That's my point. Wall Street hates undeployed cash more than your personal financial advisor, which in my case is me. So probably later this year, deal-making will accelerate again in the consumer sector, I promise you. Well, I take that back. At least my PE sources tell me this is so. And so the craziness will start all over again, especially in the 50 to $100 million revenue range. That's company revenue, not cash register sales. Otherwise known as a lower middle market. The one thing I've observed in my own client base, which sells below $50 million on their books for the most part, and in the broader ecosystem, is that well-managed businesses with decent gross margins and highly efficient fan-based acceleration don't always need institutional investment at all. Dude wipes, skinny pop, sound familiar? Seed money? Sure. And angels can continue to help out here. Generally speaking, my take is that private equity actually doesn't have access to the best of the best business folks. They work either with financially stressed growth companies or ones with incompetent and insecure founders. Oops. You'd think a smart consultant would not display anything like a critical judgment toward his client base on a publicly facing podcast. Well, I guess I'm stupid that. Or just a bit too honest. The first group that I just mentioned. The financially upside-down businesses are not hard to find. Most fast-growing CPG brands are negative EBITDA unless they reach 5 to 10 million or so in sales. The private sector is wild in part because even smart folks focused on growth or on operational complexities can lose track of financials without strong governance in place. I didn't set aside enough money for my April tax bill, for example, as my own business doubled. Oops. This is a punishment for pessimists like me, I guess. Smart private equity invests in manufacturing today, not just a brand asset like 2010s. And because most consumer brands grow off of product-driven attributes, unlike liquid death, many consumer brands will need substantial tranches of money to grow their production capacity if they are growing fast, no matter the category. The thing is, very fast-growing brands that have their own production process requiring those rapid capacity increases may also need to raise sums larger than the local Chase branch will offer on a commercial loan. And institutional investment firms will write a very big check with less due diligence than your local Chase bank branch on any kind of loan. And yes, this is the temptation. It's that cocktail party at Expo West temptation. You know, and the PE fund will probably write a very big check, a very, very big check, sorry, with just as much due diligence as Chase. But honestly, it's very possible to plan capacity upgrades when you're vertically integrated gradually enough on a well-run business to spread your investment needs over time. 
And PE firms are notorious, this is so important to remember, notorious for using your, say, $8 million real need to get you to take $30 million from them, give them much more board control and stake in the business, and also essentially dump money that they need to deploy. It's a game of puffing up your need into a sum that they need to deploy in a very limited, limited number of target companies that they can get into a deal in a certain time frame. They have that stress. And they love, therefore, to raise the amount that you're raising in a perverse kind of way and to convince you that it was the number you should have picked all along. And this is where founders without a Jedi mind get into real trouble. They take stupid terms because the money is A, oh, finally here, or B, coming in just too good a package to be denied. And some founders also, I hate to say it, they really get into the badge status of being a portfolio company. Sorry, it's a thing. And marquee firms will hope you get into this badge status as it makes you forget that Chase branch down the street. What value add does that guy offer? I mean, he probably can't even define the acronym CPG, loser. Hey, listeners. Exponential growth involves more than a killer product, great fundraising, and a great team. You need superb analytics to ride the ramp. Dr. Richardson's latest online course is now available. Effective consumer marketing for early-stage founders. You can find course pricing and details at premiumgrowthsolutions.com slash courses. And now, back to the episode. The second group of folks that private equity hooks up with are fast-growing businesses and with a capital need maybe less big or, you know, maybe less urgent than the first group who are, you know, freaking upside down and growing. But they have determined that founder can't get the business to scale. They have determined. They and their team, however, can. So they come in to the negotiations believing that the founder, you, basically aren't competent. Now, the good general partners will make this part of the deal itself up front in a very candid way. In other words, getting you to the term sheet table will involve the process of already convincing you that you need to step aside, become a figurehead, and that they will then install a preferred operating CEO from their little sexy network as the deal kicks off, as the post-deal reality kicks off. Now, even if they don't do that up front, get your consent up front, and somehow gain board control because you took too much money. In that case, it don't matter because they can replace you at any time anyways, no matter what they said at the table. And this has happened and will continue to happen to naive founders. Now, you can see here that the second group of folks who don't raise a bigger check than Chase Bank would actually give them down the street... They actually need to be convinced that they're incompetent or incapable of handling a growth business because it's that value add itself, that operational value add, that's the only thing separating the two checks. They got to be convinced of that added ecosystem value of the funds industry network as an intangible asset in addition to the check. Now, in some cases, this intangible value is worth taking more money than you need and thereby avoiding the non-involved Chase Bank branch loan officer. But honestly, by the time the BE is ready to invest in you, you should already basically have an intermediate, if not a veteran, you know, understanding of CPG finance, route to market options, and etc., etc. So you probably are already competent enough to persist. What you need is a provisionalization process that takes you and your team's discipline up a notch. And this includes hiring in folks who can bring that discipline in. 
And that is precisely the topic private equity general partners are masters at using to their advantage. Can you really professionalize yourself to run a mid-market company, man? Or are you just a goofy entrepreneur, best at starting stuff and crappy at scaling it? I mean, do you really understand finance well enough? I mean, really? 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 The potential for extreme gaslighting here by a private equity general partner knows no limits behind closed doors, folks. If you can withstand this performance, fine, you may still want to move ahead. Although, honestly, if they're gaslighting you, they've already played their cards. They think you're incompetent. Do you want to get into bed with a condescending sexual partner? Eh, probably not. Not if you're the kind of person who started and grew a business to $10 million and beyond. But here's the thing, folks, that everyone forgets. Remember the Chase Bank loan officer down the street that I mentioned? He really, really, really will not bother you at all. Ever. As long as you make your monthly payments. He doesn't want a seat on your board. He doesn't text you at all hours with random suggestions, mostly half-cocked and poorly thought through. He has very strong impulse control, actually, which is why Chase lets him sign off on commercial loans. He doesn't insist on weekly roundups and debriefs that enable passive-aggressive micromanaging you barely notice. The commercial loan officer wastes your time up front, and then he leaves you alone. Ah, Calgon, take me away to commercial loan land. Doing a Series A with institutional funds will waste even more of your time than Chase Bank would. And honestly, it might take longer too, unless you're in one of those FOMO zones of the moment, like plant-based everything was five years ago. When the money comes flooding back in later this year, listen to this episode again, please, and make sure you know that institutional investment is a common but not mandatory tool to ride the route. Thanks for listening. Remember, Dr. Richardson has loads of resources for founders at premiumgrowthsolutions.com. And when you're on his site, don't forget to take his founder's quiz and see if you're ready to ride the skate ramp of exponential growth.